Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Azam Ali.
sensual, haunting, powerful, these are all words that describe Iranian-born Azama Lee. Her music's been used in numerous films, television, and even video game scores. She has an incredible vocal range. She also plays the dulcimer, but in a way that is very unlike Western use of the instrument. She sings in several languages, including some she's invented. She's rather prolific and has a solo career and a handful of bands that she plays with, in addition to often guest starring on other artists' recordings. In fact, she often composes her music in collaborative efforts. several cultures and the specifics of their musics is vast. She's able to blend French music, Irish music, Middle Eastern music, trip-hop, electronica, and Indian music. If you know these artists, Sheila Chandra, Dead Can Dance, Lisa Gerard, This Mortal Coil, Miranda Sex Garden, Cocteau Twins, Portis Head, Massive Attack, then you'll feel right at home with the Zamali. knows music. She knows music makers and the environments that shape them. She understands songs on a cellular level. She always evokes drama and you can feel sorrow, doubt, and yearnings in every note she sings. This is alluring world music that breaks conventions and cultures into pieces of mystical bittersweet meditations on love and loss.
Let me read the English lyrics to Prahi. This separation has caused me immense sorrow. Destiny has me chained to the state. O oh, beloved, release me from these chains, for I am bound by the dust in this estranged land. What is it you seek from me that you cast your chains upon a free man? of all of my knowledge of world music, which is not vast, is based in rock and roll. So for example, The Police. The Police borrowed heavily. They built their career on reggae music. So if you love The Police, and you're interested in that kind of thing, you start going to the root. I loved what the Beatles did with sitar, and I really dug Led Zeppelin. Their use of Indian percussion, vocal stylings, these sort of Indian-ish riffs like Kashmir. I love that shit. And while Azam Ali was born in Iran, she was raised in India, and she would hear Indian devotional chants from the Hindu temples in the little town that she grew up in. She was fortunate enough to have been schooled in a highly creative and artistically nurturing environment. She flourished there and often speaks of her experiences being at the root of who she is. But in 1979, the Iranian revolution changed her life. Her mother refused to return them to a country that not only shunned individualism and the openness that they had come to enjoy, but would also subjugate them under Islamic law. Journalists, students, musicians, homosexuals were all tortured, raped, murdered, to eliminate any trace of Western influence. United States Marine Corps guards used tear gas to try to disperse the mob of Islamic students. But that wasn't enough. Hundreds of Iranians finally overran the embassy compound, seizing about 90 people mostly Americans. The hostages, men and women, were blindfolded and herded into the embassy's basement. No casualties were reported. The Iranians burned a United States flag and denounced the U.S. government, saying they would stay until the U.S. sends the deposed Shah back to Iran. Earlier today, the Ayatollah Khomeini publicly criticized the U.S. for providing refuge for the Shah. His speech was viewed as a signal by the Muslim students to attack the embassy. Iranian radio reported that the hostages were safe and being fed. 
Once the revolution happened, I was pretty much stuck in India. My mother was in Iran, and I didn't see her for a good six years. And then my mother escaped after the, you know, during the revolution, and she came to India. She she lived there for two years, and when I was 15 years old, we came to the U.S. under a political asylum because my mother didn't want to go back to Iran. One of the elements that's very appealing to us about Sufi poetry is that it does transcend cultural and religious um, specificity because it really is more about the struggles of the human soul, the struggles of the human experience and it's something that we all share. It's, it really is a universal struggle. Voss had an ethereal quality that would be of interest to fans of psychedelic and trance music, not to mention trip-hop. They were active between 1997 and 2004 and have four stellar albums.
She has classically trained and extended her education into Indian, Persian, and Eastern European singing techniques and styles. She loved medieval music, John Coltrane, Ravi Shankar. Eventually, she would get together with Greg Ellis, who was a devotee of Mickey Hart. He has a percussive style that's tribal and almost shamanistic. His percussion carried the sound while Ali's Farsi vocals created vast atmospheres. They mixed old and new world music, but wouldn't call them new age. This music is a sharp angle and points that are usually buffered out in new age music.
In 2004, she started a band called Nyaz, which means yearning, and it's mystical music with a modern edge. Western electronic instrumentation and programming, these swirling hypnotic beats. solo albums have included nods to French, Latin, Gaelic, Swedish 12th and 13th century music. She's worked with the members of Bauhaus, System of a Down, King Crimson, Nine Inch Nails, The Grateful Dead, and even Buckethead. I've yet to hear a song that she didn't own. There's no garbage in her entire catalog.
She spent her life embracing cultures and trying to reach a musical state of spiritualism and altered consciousness. There's something ancient, mystical, and hypnotic about her voice. I was exposed to music that was on some level very foreign to me but at the same time I found it deeply profound and I think that that experience of growing up in a foreign country at such an early age it it ingrained in me the knowledge that music has this tremendous capacity to transcend cultural and religious barriers so when I moved to America and I began to study music professionally and, you know, I had originally my training was in the Persian classical Santur, which is the hammer dulcimer. And then I went on to study early medieval European music. That was where I really had my formal training. But I took this experience with me from my early childhood and I feel that every time I perform a song, for whatever purpose, whether it's for a record or for a soundtrack, I try to bring that experience with me, this experience that I know I can communicate in a way that uh, is going to transcend this cultural and, and uh, language barrier. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. 
people often ask me why it is that I've worked so much on film and TV scores. And I think it's really because Eastern music, by nature, it uh, conveys a certain emotion and mystery that lends itself so well to music which is intended to be dramatic. And uh, for me personally, it's about being able to deliver my performance in a way that is very authentic without being culturally specific. And I'm the
best thing that I've taken from Azama Lee is her insistence that music be a unifying thing, that it unifies all these cultures, that she's not going in and stealing from cultures, she's not cheapening them, she knows what she's doing, and you can't argue with the results. Create something that hopefully transcends religion and culture and show people that, you know, at the core we are all the same. This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck. P.S. From time to time I get email from listeners and we correspond a bit and get to know each other. So I want to give a shout out to Guy Exley, who is listening to the show all the way from Japan. And as it turns out, Guy records music under the moniker of The Mighty Takapu. And you can find him on SoundCloud and TheMightyTakapu.com. I really like his work and wanted to say thanks for the kind words and suggestions. So I've included the URL so you can find his music and check out his poems, lyrics, and incredible photographs. Nice work, Guy, and thanks for reaching out. Peace.